post-Labor Day, which is where we are, post-Labor Day, at least in election years, the political season turns into the home stretch and ads and pictures of politicians crop up all over the place. A man and his young son saw a large display of political posters in the window of a service station. The young son stared at the pictures for a moment and then asked, Dad, are those guys wanted dead or alive? No indication of how the father answered, but sometimes you get to wonder if they are wanted at all. The great American comedian Will Rogers once quipped, I might have gone to West Point, but I was too proud to talk to a congressman. You see, it's very easy to get a laugh on some subjects. But now hear this, Titus 3.1. Remember the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. Or 1 Peter 2, 13 and 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him show proper respect. In today's epistle, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. How do these square up with what you see on blogs on the internet or even what you think, leaving aside such questions as whether or not an unrelenting torrent of criticism at some point affects the ability to govern, or comments like people deserve the kind of government they get, Today's epistle tells us how believers should understand and act toward government. Paul begins by informing us that government comes from God and that those who govern are working for God. They are his ministers, that's the King James Version of it, or servants. And this has nothing to do with whether they are Christian or even respectable in themselves. We should not forget that these New Testament verses were written to people who lived under the rule of the emperor of Rome, possibly Nero. Jesus paid his taxes, even if he did get the silver coin from out of a fish's mouth. Paul knows because of Jesus' words, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, that God has made a distinction in how he operates in the world. That is our origin of our ideas of separation of church and state. The power of the state and of the church are both ordained by God, yet they differ from each other radically, 
in the areas they work in, as well as in the methods they use. The state's primary concern is the law, and so it enforces obedience. In our epistle, Paul says it bears the sword. The church's primary concern is the gospel. It seeks to persuade people to accept its teachings and believe. The state preserves outward peace and rights in the community. The church offers spiritual blessings and brings the peace of God to troubled souls. It is important for the welfare of all to keep these distinct. We can then expect things of government that really aren't in its charter. Government does not exist to come up with a moral agenda, even though it is the left hand called upon to use the law. Setting the moral agenda is God's business. Government does not exist to satisfy all of our needs and desires. Oscar Wilde, the wit and playwright, once protested about the taxes on his house. He was told that by living there, he used the protection and services of the government even while he slept. But I sleep so badly, Wilde is supposed to have answered. Government does not exist to satisfy our need to sleep, though the king in Israel was charged with aiding the public welfare. Government does exist to satisfy our need for justice. In the prior chapter of Romans, St. Paul says, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, let God do it. Quote, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. One should note Paul does not say that he is the savior of humankind. Christ Jesus did that for us. By coming into our world, complete with its injustices and wrongs, which in his case even saw God's agent, the governor Pontius Pilate, wrongly order his execution. The governor didn't get it when Jesus said that the kingdom he had was not of this world and his servants wouldn't fight the way that soldiers in a secular army do. The gospel is, of course, the good news about what God has done apart from law. He has done for us what law and government could not, in that our king was crucified for our guilt so that he could issue a general amnesty for all the world. Human reason doesn't get this. You cannot argue people into the kingdom of God. You can only proclaim it and let the Holy Spirit use that proclamation to change people. The government doesn't work with the gospel, though it should ensure the conditions by which the gospel can work in the world through the church's proclamation. The basic principle in civil government is human reason, which codifies the natural knowledge of God's law written in the hearts of men. And so the government may allow what God forbids. For example, lying to your mother, unless, of course, it's in a contract. It may forbid what God allows. 
Traffic laws do this, for instance, all the time. But as God's servant, it should not command what God forbids, nor forbid what God commands. If it does, we must obey God rather than men. We have that example in Acts 5, 29. How then should we, Christians, act toward government? What do we owe it? Here, Romans 13 helps us. Obedience. Paul writes, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Second, payment of taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Paul echoes that. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Respect and honor. This is like in the military. When you learn to salute that officer who you think is a jerk because you are saluting the uniform, not the man. Prayer, 1 Timothy 2.2. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and those in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. There are other things as well, lastly. Take a sympathetic and active interest in public affairs. Our synod put that out. As Jeremiah puts it, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. In a democracy, there may be other things as well. Do jury duty, even though it can be a pain. I remember something that former district president Lauren Kramer wrote. The justice system is not as broken as I had thought. This was after he had jury service. It does work. At least it did this time. I give you encouragement. If you are called, you know, serve. It is part of the duty and privilege of our free land. A few weeks later, when the check for my two days of work came, I put it in the bank. After all, $10 is $10. You can vote, and vote wisely, all the while recognizing that there will be legitimate differences of opinion on policy. What did these people, you may recognize some of these names, they're from a while back, maybe you won't. What do these people have in common? Edwin Meese, former Attorney General under President Reagan. Paul Simon, Democratic Senator from Illinois. Vince Hartke, Democratic Senator from Indiana. Jan Brewer, Republican Governor of Arizona. What do they all have in common? Certainly not their political opinions, but they all are or were Missouri Synod Lutherans. And all of them had found the value of public service. How should we conclude our consideration of this text? As Paul does, keeping in mind the priority of love. God has loved us in Christ. That is the gospel, that is what saves, 
That is the message that he has entrusted the church with. That is most important and which is ours by the acceptance of faith through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. God continues to show his love to us, believe it or not, through the chastening hand of government. Beyond our obedience and respect for the government, Paul tells us, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. There is no greater fulfillment for us than that accomplished by Christ. It is left to us then to be little Christs to one another. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.